fentanyl, a top killer of Americans, and China is denying any role in it. That's despite its status as the world's number one maker of the precursor chemical, which gets manufactured into the synthetic opioid by Mexican cartels. Beijing's foreign ministry says no illegal fentanyl trafficking happens between China and Mexico, adding it's a made-in-the-USA problem. But is that really the case? And how is the Chinese city of Wuhan involved in all of this? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China is denying the existence of illicit fentanyl shipments to Mexico and with it, its ties to America's fentanyl crisis. The U.S. says fentanyl precursors from China are processed into the drug in Mexico and that most of the fentanyl in the U.S. travels through the southern border from Mexico. On Thursday, Beijing's foreign ministry spokesperson said no illegal fentanyl trafficking happens between China and Mexico. Instead, she blamed the U.S. for the fentanyl crisis, describing it as made in the USA. Worth noting, drug overdoses cause tens of thousands of U.S. deaths a year. Let's dive in. The statement followed a letter from the Mexican president to Chinese leader Xi Jinping, urging China to help control shipments of fentanyl to Mexico. The letter came amid U.S. criticism, suggesting that Mexico isn't doing enough to stop the trafficking of the synthetic opioid. Fentanyl is a highly addictive synthetic opioid used in hospitals for pain relief. Illegally made versions of the drug have now become a major concern in the United States. It often gets laced into other drugs due to its potency and low cost to produce. Just 2 milligrams of fentanyl can make up a lethal dose. Is China really responsible for the fentanyl epidemic in the U.S.? For years, U.S. authorities have said China produces most of the precursor chemical, which is manufactured into the synthetic opioid by Mexican cartels. Once made, the drug is smuggled through the southern border onto U.S. soil. China's Wuhan is considered the fentanyl capital of the world. If that name sounds familiar, the city is also the original epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been reported that China is single-handedly responsible for over 90% of the synthetic opioids found in the U.S. And earlier, we sat down with Congressman Tom Tiffany to talk about the U.S. southern border and the fentanyl coming through it. Those drugs largely blame for the ongoing fentanyl crisis. Congressman Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. It's good to join you today. So recently, we have reports of over 920% spike in illegal Chinese migrants coming into the U.S. That's through the southern border and other areas. And you and your colleagues actually introduced a letter hoping to push back against this. Tell us about your letter. Yeah, the letter went to Secretaries Mayorkas and Blinken uh, calling attention to this, that we're seeing this massive uptick in the number of Chinese nationals that are coming across our southern border. And of course, with the threat of terror, um, fentanyl and other illicit drugs that are coming in and the human trafficking that's going on, um, I think it uh, should be called to attention because is the communist Chinese government exploiting our southern border being open just like they've done with fentanyl? And it seems following former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last August, the Chinese regime has basically not been cooperating, even if they were in the past, but really not cooperating in terms of this. So what are you hoping to achieve here? What should the U.S. be doing? 
Well, I hope that Secretaries Mayorkas and Blinken take this seriously. But of course, we're not holding our breath in regards to it. I mean, you look at this. I have very good contacts down in Panama. I was there nearly two years ago and saw how um, the system has basically been industrialized to bring people into the United States. And we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. And we need to make sure that there aren't bad actors coming in, because China is one of those recalcitrant countries that does not take someone that a Chinese national that commits a crime in America, they won't take them back. Well, I think we should retaliate against that and say the same thing to them. Then, then we're not going to take people from uh, your country into our country if you're going to simply send people with records that are um, that have criminal backgrounds or that are simply trying to come into our country illegally. That should not be allowed. And Congressman, what would that look like in terms, is it sanctions, is it maybe removing visas, or how would that really play out to send that message? Yeah, so I've um, forwarded a bill um, to treat China as a recalcitrant country, and I think that's one of the ways in which we could go about it, is to pass that legislation through the House of Representatives, and hopefully we get the full support of the Congress and uh, United States president. I will say this, though. It should not take a bill to do this. This is about national security. In Congressman, you mentioned fentanyl, and we just recently saw Mexico's president writing a letter to Xi Jinping, China's uh, leader, asking China for help. And it seems, you know, in the past, the U.S. has criticized and sanctioned China in terms of fentanyl. We had over 100,000 people die of fentanyl poisonings just in 2022 number one killer of our young people in America. This is a national emergency that's going on with these fentanyl poisonings, and they are not overdoses. They are poisonings. And Congressman, on that note, you mentioned how this is a national security issue, also just with the sheer number of Americans dying. It really impacts every American. So as a lawmaker, what are you doing to make sure that the rest of your colleagues are really on board and making sure that the Communist Party of China is held accountable for this? Well, uh, we bring up this issue regularly. And, uh, you know, ultimately what this is about, and it doesn't matter whether the issue is inflation, energy independence, whatever. If America takes care of itself, America is going to be fine. America is going to be strong. It's the same with the southern border in dealing with this issue in regards to Chinese nationals migrating into our country, paying up to $50,000 ahead to the cartels to be able to get into the United States of America. All we got to do is secure the border. It's in our hands. Let's us do it. Congressman Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to join you today. Taiwan is standing strong despite China's outbursts. That's what Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen is saying after her meeting with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy irked Beijing. Speaking at Taiwan's main airport, Tsai said this on Friday. We show the international community that in the face of pressure and threats, Taiwan will be even more united and will absolutely not yield to suppression, nor due to obstructions stop exchanges with the world. Following the visit, Taipei reported a Chinese aircraft carrier group spotted far off its eastern coast. Meanwhile, Beijing seems to be investing energy elsewhere with a fresh round of sanctions, this time singling out Taiwan's de facto ambassador to the United States, as well as the Hudson Institute, Reagan Library and their leaders. 
This comes as Taiwan's former president is trying a different approach. While in China, former Taiwanese President Ma Ying-jeou said the future is a choice between peace or war, adding that the current administration, quote, continues to lead Taiwan to danger. He also gave his support for an agreement which considers Taiwan part of China, called the 1992 Consensus. Current President Tsai refuses to recognize it. As for the U.S., a fresh round of lawmakers are in Taiwan, led by Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Michael McCall. Peace through strength is real. And that's why we need to harden Taiwan. McCall added he's doing everything possible to speed up the delivery of weapons to Taiwan. Much of those shipments were delayed as manufacturers send supplies to Ukraine to support its defense against the Russian invasion. Nobody wants conflict. We want peace and prosperity, and we want to do everything we can to deter a very aggressive nation, communist China, from ever thinking about landing on the shores of this beautiful island. Speaking at the same news conference, Taiwan's parliament speaker said, quote, in fact, China is helping Taiwan by increasing Taiwan's visibility on the international stage. So I really might have to use this opportunity to thank Xi Jinping. Thank you, Xi Jinping. <laughs> Taiwan has not ruled out a visit by House Speaker McCarthy to the island at some point in the future. That's amid concerns over a repeat of the heightened tensions by China last year, following then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip there. The Chinese Communist Party claims democratically governed Taiwan as part of its territory, despite having never ruled it. A big jump in China's nuclear strike capability. Beijing now keeping a fleet of submarines patrolling the South China Sea almost around the clock. Of these submarines, at least one of them is equipped with a nuclear warhead, able to hit the continental United States. That's according to Reuters. The media outlets said the details come from a Pentagon report last November, but got little attention until recently. The report said these submarines run patrols from China's southern Hainan Island into the South China Sea. The body of water is one of the most hotly contested in the world. Military experts say it shows major improvements in China's military capacity. The U.S. Navy keeps about two dozen nuclear-powered submarines stationed across the Pacific, including in Guam and Hawaii. The U.S. also operates seabed sensors in key sea lanes to help detect submarines. Still, Beijing's efforts to rapidly expand its nuclear force ramps up pressure on the U.S. Both the People's Republic of China and Russia. America's top general, Mark Milley, saying earlier that for the first time ever, the U.S. is facing two major nuclear powers, China and Russia. Is a new tech war on the horizon? And this time, it may zero in on a new area. China's three major telecom carriers are planning to build a $500 million undersea internet cable network, all in an effort to rival a similar U.S.-backed project. The link would run from Asia to the Middle East all the way to Europe. The project is known as EMA, short for Europe, Middle East, Asia. Its manufacturer is China's Huawei Marine Network Technologies is tied to Chinese telecom giant of the same name, Huawei. That company blacklisted by Washington for stealing U.S. intellectual property. The China-led project is intended to rival another cable currently under construction by the U.S. It's called the CMEW6. 
If successfully built, the U.S.-made cables will be able to transport data from Asia to Europe. Over the past four years, the U.S. has stopped a number of Chinese undersea cable projects abroad. The consortium on the CMEWI-6 originally picked a Chinese tech giant to build the cable. But a successful Washington pressure campaign flipped the contract to a U.S. firm last year. Undersea cables carry more than 95% of all international internet traffic. These cables are highly vulnerable to espionage and cyber attacks. As a result, they have become weapons of influence in the competition between Washington and Beijing. The winner of that competition will secure its place in holding global military and economic dominance. North Korea's latest missile launches drawing fire from neighbors. Nuclear envoys of the U.S., South Korea and Japan condemned the weapons tests Friday. The DPRK threatens the security and prosperity of the entire international community. They pose a grave threat to the peace and security of the region and beyond. They met for talks in Seoul. North Korea is misguiding its people to believe that nuclear weapons are a magic wand that can solve all of its problems. On the contrary, North Korea's nuclear obsession is nothing more than a self-destructive boomerang that destroys the future of all North Koreans. Kim Gunn, South Korea's chief nuclear negotiator, said the launches are shattering the North's economy, undermining its security and aggravating its isolation, adding its provocations should never go unpunished. Officials also voiced deep concern over what they called the North's malicious cyber activities used to support its weapons programs. According to the U.S. and its allies, cryptocurrency funds stolen by North Korean hackers have been a key funding source for the country's weapons programs. That's as it grapples under a host of international sanctions. Rescue efforts are underway following a serious military helicopter crash in Japan. A Black Hawk carrying 10 crew members went missing on Thursday. Japanese officials say a most likely crashed while on a reconnaissance mission above Japan's southern islands. That's the region seeing a major uptick in aggressive military activities from Beijing. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the incident. Japan's defense minister says none of the missing crew members have been found as of Friday. He says the search for the missing crew will continue, along with information gathering about the crash. We will do our utmost to search for the lives of the 10 people. Officials say the Black Hawk disappeared from radar only 10 minutes after leaving from base. They believe it crashed into the water about a thousand miles southwest of Tokyo. It was patrolling the waters around Miyakojima. At least three Chinese regime warships have sailed past the island in the past four days. Japanese officials did not say if the aircraft was involved in tracking any Chinese military activity. The Army says the Black Hawk helicopter had a routine safety inspection late last month. No problems were found during its subsequent test flight or on its trip to where it was stationed. Army officials found a door they believe belonged to the aircraft near the presumed crash site, along with other fragments of debris. Coast Guard patrol ships found an unused lifeboat whose serial number matched that of the missing helicopter. Japan is aggressively building up its defense capability in its southwestern islands. That's in response to China's increasingly assertive military activity in the region, including near Taiwan. Two U.S. Army Black Hawk helicopters crashed in Kentucky during a training mission last week. All nine service members on board were killed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. China's monsoon season, seeing an early start this year. 
flooding has already swept through parts of southern China, marking a rare early start to the often disastrous weather patterns that usually don't begin until June. On Wednesday, torrential rain left more than 10 rivers overflowing, three provinces feeling the impacts. A local resident in Jiangxi province told NTD that floodwaters soaked local farmland and people's houses. We saw really big flooding here. We suffered a lot. The waters entered my house and submerged most of my items. Many home appliances don't work anymore. There were also landslides. The rising water led to train delays and cancellations, plus highway closures. A resident told NTD that the rain stopped Thursday and the water level is now receding. Foreign ministers from Iran and Saudi Arabia meeting to sign a new measure in Beijing. The face-to-face -face talks marked their first in over seven years. The two nations have agreed to reopen embassies and consulates in each other's countries and examine ways of expanding cooperation. That's according to Iran's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Here's a closer look at the statement. It explains that the two countries will expand cooperation. The nations vow to resume flights between their territories. Plus, mutual visits by official delegations and the private sector will restart. Beyond that, the Iranian and Saudi foreign ministers both renewed invitations for each other to their capital cities. The cooperation marks a major shift in Middle East politics, as Saudi Arabia and Iran are longtime regional rivals. Saudi Arabia broke ties with Iran in 2016 after protesters invaded Saudi diplomatic posts there. But the tide began to change last month when China mediated an agreement between the two countries. It's considered a diplomatic win for Beijing, since the U.S. has remained the Middle East's main go-between for decades. The move also falls in line with the Chinese regime's global ambitions, as it tries to position itself as a leader and mediator on the world stage. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Two countries in the Middle East have restored their ties. Saudi Arabia and Iran, two longtime enemies, signing a peace deal. Their new relationship brokered by Beijing. But will it restore calm to the region? And what does it mean for the U.S. and the world? Joining us is Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, to talk about that. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me again. So it seems the Saudi Arabia and Iran have restored their ties. They made this announcement in Beijing about a month after Xi Jinping brokered this so-called peace deal between the two. What do you make of all of this? Well, I think clearly the American-led Middle East order is gone, or at least it's collapsing, and it's pretty much the makings of our own failures. Uh, we spent 20 years, trillions of dollars, thousands of American lives trying to maintain our control and influence over the region, and for a fraction of the cost, and in half the time, China's moved in at breakneck speed, and they are completely reordering the map. 
uh, this is going to have very negative consequences, not just for American power, uh, but also it's probably going to be bad for Israel, which is the region's only progressive democracy uh, and only recently was being recognized as a fellow nation state by the Sunni Arabs. All that is now in question because the Biden administration has abandoned the region and the Xi Jinping uh, regime of China is moving in at full speed using Iran as their proxy. And the Russians are moving in along with the Chinese, partnering with them as well. And Brandon, you mentioned these negative movements going forward. And what does it mean that China is the one that's brokering this deal, basically? Well, it, what it means is that China is exerting its presence on the world stage in previously unknown ways to us. They've always been a power, obviously, in Asia, um, and they were primarily predominantly a geoeconomic force. But now they've become so wealthy and so integrated uh, with the rest of the world that China is now taking that geoeconomic power and they're translating it into diplomatic power as well as now into military power. And I think it, your audience needs to be aware that China is preparing to hit Taiwan, whether it's in the next six months or six years. I think it's going to be sooner than, than six years. Um, they are right now moving hard to hit Taiwan, and I think they need to gain access and greater control and leverage over the Middle East in order to prevent the Americans from having the ability to cut them off from critical oil and natural gas supplies. China gets a lot of their oil and natural gas from the Middle East, uh, from Iran and Saudi Arabia in particular. And what this new deal allows for China to do is to basically bring Saudi Arabia and Iran together and then to gain access to both of their energy uh, uh, capabilities and to basically push the Americans out. And so I think this is part of preparing the battlefield, the wider battle, battlefield, uh, for an inevitable invasion of Taiwan and trying to curb any uh, you know, American counter moves that might be designed to slow down or stop the Chinese invasion. So that's what's going on here. And Brandon, I want to expand on that. So it sounds like this peace deal isn't just about peace for China. What is China really getting out of this? Well, and, and to be clear, you know, we were told when China went in there a few weeks ago that this is going to bring, like you said, peace, love and happiness. But what do we see? The, the ink is not even dried on this Chinese-backed deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and Iranian-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon is popping off rockets at Israel. Uh, and so this is not bringing peace, love and happiness. What this is doing is creating disorder. This is managed disorder by China to stir the hornet's nest push the Americans out of the region, and then China comes in and they're going to rebuild the order in their own autocratic image. And so what you're seeing here is the beginnings of that sort of, uh, you know, creative destruction, if you will, uh, by China. And what this is going to do is it's going to not only give China greater control and access to those critical energy flows out of the Middle East, but it's also going to isolate the progressive democracy of Israel. Uh, that What China's doing is they're trying also to gain access to high-tech countries. So Saudi Arabia is not just an oil producer, but it's also becoming a high-tech uh, industrial power under the uh, Saudi Vision 2030 plan that Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, has been pioneering. 
China wants to get in on that. Huawei's helping to develop uh, Saudi Arabia's Silicon Valley, their equivalent of Silicon Valley. Now they're moving, the Chinese are, and they're saying, look, the Israelis are a high-tech superpower. They do a lot of business with the Americans. The Americans have cut us off from tech development, so we're going to backdoor our way into the fourth industrial revolution. We're going to isolate Israel. We're going to force Israel to come to terms with us in the Middle East, which means they're going to have to turn to China for protection against China's other partner, Iran. And I think that's what this is setting up for, is a big, big movement of the whole region away from the United States, subordinated to China, all part of a larger strategy by China to basically ensure that it is the dominant superpower in the world no later than 2049. Well, definitely sounds like some dark times ahead, but Brandon, any, any final words you'd like to share? Again, there is a solution, but it's going to require us taking a step back from our normal patterns of behavior. We can't keep doing the neocon thing. What we need to do is step back, re realize that China is the number one threat. All other threats are ancillary. Focus on containing China first at the geoeconomic level and then building up our own comprehensive national power at home. We need to bring American manufacturing back, get our industrial base going again, get fourth industrial revolution technologies built here rather than in China. Those those things we can do, that's how we can beat China. That's how we can ensure that the next century is an American one. But right now, we're not making those moves, and that's why we're declining and losing. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.